Welcome back to your August edition of Slimming Stories. If you're listening to this episode today, you'll be hearing one of my many guests I've had the pleasure of interviewing on the show so far. I'll be here throughout the month of August with seven podcast episodes that will really help you to see what's truly possible when you commit to achieving your goals. And throughout August, I'll be busy interviewing new guests all set to end the year on a high. And I just want to say a big thank you for those who have taken the time to offer feedback on the Enchanted Forest in the therapy download. I'm really pleased to hear that it's really helped you to feel relaxed and calm and that was always my intention. And I'm really passionate about my new hypnotherapy and coaching business. And it's been a really, really busy time for me and I guess exciting too. And I'm now working with clients in America and the UK and seeing change work for clients is such, honestly, it's such a great feeling. And I could literally talk about it all day, which made me think that this could have the makings of a new podcast. So I will be test driving a new podcast that doesn't even have a name yet. That's how new it is. And so this won't be available yet to listen to on iTunes or Spotify. You will need to be on my email subscription list to hear this. And what I really want to do is just demystify hypnotherapy because this really can help complement a weight loss journey and fitness journey. There's so many health benefits when listening to hypnotherapy that can bring about motivation, change work, and whether that's because you're looking to run a marathon or be focused on your goal or whether you're you know, just looking to, to quit smoking to benefit your health. And for any listeners that suffer with anxiety, honestly, with all of the work that I've done with clients that do suffer with anxiety, hypnotherapy is simply life-changing. And I'll be talking about that more on the new podcast episodes. And all you need to do to be part of this is simply click on the link in the show notes and this will take you straight over to sign up for my new email list and in return you'll receive the Enchanted Forest download for free so you can experience it for yourself. So whatever you're doing over the summer holiday I'm really wishing you the best time, really looking forward to September when there'll be some brand spanking new podcast episodes for Slimming Stories. So send him my love, stay safe and until then take care. I've struggled with depression and anxiety for about 20 years, probably a bit longer. I was diagnosed 20 years ago. And doctors and professional people always say to you, oh, you should try exercise. You know, exercise is the best thing. And, you know, I remember hearing that when I was like nearly 19 stone and thinking, yeah, that's funny. Like the idea of any exercise is massively stressing me out. So how is that gonna help me? But knowing what I know now, I wish that I'd started running 10 years earlier. So I've never, I've never even run for a bus when I decided that I was gonna start running. And the reason that I decided I was gonna start running was because I decided I was gonna run the London Marathon. Wow. So, you know, start big and yes. see how you go. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to another episode of Slimming Stories. I'm your host Claire Oldham-West. So it's been a hot week, it's been really hot. I don't know if you've been able to keep up with your fitness regimes and going out for those runs but I've been trying just to get out for a walk in the morning but just to keep myself moving and keep a clear mind basically because I'm still on lockdown and 
I'm not at work at the moment, but my husband got a call today on a Saturday that went down really well because <laughs> he's got to go into work next week. So it looks like for us that lockdown is being lifted and normality may resume very soon. So I hope wherever you listen to this that you know you're safe and well. And I know not all areas of the country are the same, are there? There's some areas that have been more affected than others. And it's, it's a bit of a daunting time, especially when you've got children that have heard the news and they're now expected to go to school. I know the primary school children, that is a conversation that's being had at the moment. So I hope you're dealing with whatever you're having to deal with at the moment as well as you can and that you're not finding yourself in an anxious state about it. Now, a couple of weeks ago, it was Mental Health Week and that was fantastic. I know social media got on board with that. All we could see was lots of quotes around mental health, lots of YouTube videos around mental health. It was, it was everywhere, wasn't it? But what I'd like to say is mental health should be discussed at all times. There's no right or wrong week to be discussing mental health. And my guest today, Hayley Grocock, shares a really relatable, honest and open story around her anxiety and depression. Now, Hayley's story around slimming is quite in-depth. We talk about lots to do with surgery and weight loss, alcohol mental health problems, weight loss with Slimming World and, and balance and having children with your focus as, as well and she's had a lot to say. So for the first time I will be publishing this episode over two parts. So today this is part one of Hayley's story and I hope you enjoy it. Are you remaining sane in this time of chaos and confusion in the world? Yeah trying to I run a charity for my day job so I'm trying to run that from home which is hard because we support visually impaired people and so a lot of the support that we give is face to face so so that's quite tough and I've got a six-year-old son as well so obviously Mm -hmm. he's at home and off schools trying to juggle the demands of the day job and school and looking after kids and what have you is uh, is a challenge that uh, many thousands and millions of people across the country are going to be identifying with at the moment but um, I'm okay I'm kind of managing to managing to stay sane and I think running is definitely helping me with that. Right wow so I think as a new runner myself it's something that I know that when I, I run I feel fantastic but it's something that I have to motivate myself to do. So with my local running group, that's ideal because I'll know that I'll arrange to meet with my friend there or other people, and that will give me the momentum just to see the evening through really after probably like a stressful day at work. So how do you find your momentum in these days that are kind of like desolate? It's a bit like Shaun of the Dead when you go out and you're like, am Mm. I the only one? (laughs) Is it just me? Well, what I've always said is the hardest bit of any run is the bit between your bed and the front door or the bit between your couch and the front door because I've I've never been on a run that I've regretted and I've never been on a run where I felt worse after so I know that and I think particularly at the moment where I know that the only time that I can really leave the house on foot is for exercise or if I had to do some emergency shopping or what have you it's about really making that count for me at the moment and because my husband also runs so 
I've been a runner on and off since about 2010, so about 10 years. Mm. Um, my husband started running after years of nagging from me <laughs> about 18 months ago. And because we've got Edward, our son, and because of the lockdown situation, we tend to run on alternate days because then the other one has got their exercise time free to take Edward out. It's kind of balancing all of those things and having a bit of a timetable. But we're really lucky because we have a garage that's built into our house and we got a treadmill, a secondhand treadmill last winter because I was training for the London Marathon. And because of the way that our schedules are and because I like to run in the morning and in the winter, it's dark in the morning mm. and I run on my own. I got the treadmill to help me in the week so that I could still do like my 6am or 6.30am runs in the morning, but not have to go out in the dark and the ice and what have you on my own. So if my husband's running one day and I still want to run, I can run on the treadmill. So we're really lucky to have that because it's been a bit of a lifeline. And I really noticed it if, if I haven't, if I haven't run for a couple of days, I really notice that I start to feel like I'm going a little bit mad because it right. is like my, my head space, especially now when you're constantly in the house and constantly got demands on your time, you know, work and children and what have you all at once, you know, just to be able to get on the treadmill or to run outside, it, it's definitely really helping me with the current situation. Does this allow you to feel more clear? Because I, I feel that when I run, although I, I never, I'll be honest, I never really want to go for a run, to be honest. But after, after the run, I feel this, it's almost like a, a cognitive, because you're moving your arms, you're moving your legs, and, and that brain power that goes into thinking about the hand movements and your leg movements and, and the, the surge of oxygen that goes up to, to your brain, it, there's just that clarity that, that comes after a run that's almost, it's almost like dreamlike, isn't it? That you, you've had yeah. this heavy day and then you go for this run and it just feels like you're able to, to switch off. Which I imagine in your, in your day job, working for a charity, and I, I work with vulnerable people, we can hear, can't we, lots of possibly, I, I don't know if you're on the same boat, but quite heavy situations of people in extreme vulnerability can be quite... Yeah can be quite harsh to to hear day in and day out can't it so that that time yeah. going for a run can allow you to switch off so if you just want to talk more about that that feeling that you get after a run I think I think what you've said about clarity of mind is really important because if there is something on your mind if you're feeling frustrated or the day's laying heavy on you because like for me, I work with visually impaired people and lots of the people that we work with are even more isolated at the moment than they would normally be. Um, to go for a run and to use the power of your mind and the power of your body in sync with each other to achieve the goal of just running, whether you've got specific distance in mind or you want to run for a particular amount of time or what have you, I think that focus, as you say, on the movement of your body and propelling yourself forward, it just helps some of the 
some of the weight of the day or the weight of what's on your mind to just to slip away. It's very hard to explain. And I've struggled with depression and anxiety for about 20 years, probably a bit longer. I was diagnosed 20 years ago. And doctors and professional people always say to you, oh, you should try exercise. You know, exercise is the best thing. And, you know, I remember hearing that when I was like nearly 19 stone and thinking, yeah, that's funny. Like the idea of any exercise is massively stressing me out. So Mm -hmm. how is that going to help me? But knowing what I know now, I wish that I'd started running 10 years earlier. So I'd never... I'd never even run for a bus when I decided that I was going to start running. And the reason that I decided I was going to start running was because I decided I was going to run the London Marathon. So, you know, start big and see how you go. (laughs) And it was a silly thing, really, because a friend of mine had run the London Marathon and I used to live in London. I live in Yorkshire now, but I lived pretty much my whole adult life in London. And I'd watched her and the journey that she'd been on And she really inspired me. So I decided I was going to apply. And then I thought, well, if I've applied, then I better start actually running. Mm, So my friend, (laughs) I I was terrified. I was absolutely terrified. My friend took me to buy the trainers because just even standing in front of trainers in a sports shop was terrifying. Mm. So my friend came with me. And in those days, couch to 5k didn't exist so what I started with was I would jog for 30 seconds and then I'd like walk for two minutes or three minutes or however long it was Mm. and that's that is literally how I started my stepdad died from cancer the previous year and my nan had died within a month or two months of my stepdad passing so there'd been a lot of grief in my family mm. um it had been my 30th birthday and my flat had got broken into and I'd had to move and it was all very it, I'd had a lot of kind of difficult things happening all in at one time and um and so I just started just with those tiny steps just in circuits kind of really close to my house I didn't want to go too far away from my house in case anything happened you know like if I had some kind of heart attack or what have you (laughs) so I just did these loops round and round near where I lived and as I started to feel more confident with being in that location and with actually being out then I started to go further and further afield and then once I'd managed to build up a, a bit of stamina if you like so mm. able to run you know for 20 minutes or half an hour then I found like proper training plans and what have you and then I and I got into the London Marathon so then I had to so I ran the London Marathon in 2011 and I carried on running after that and then I had a few years off because I got pregnant with my son and then when my son was little I put more weight on and then I decided that I wanted to get back into running when my son was about 18 months old, perhaps. Mm. And by that time, Couch to 5K existed. So I just started again from the beginning and I started again with Couch to 5K. I got some advice from my doctor and um, got some advice from a physio because I'd hurt my back. And 
different things so I wanted to sort of do it safely and properly and all of the advice was around using Couch to 5k as a really good program for for people first starting so I did that and I ran the London Marathon again last year. Wow so So which which year did you run the the London Marathon the first time 2000 and 2011 was the first time I ran it and then you did that in 2019? Yeah. That's really, that's really good that you've been able to do that twice because I know a lot of people struggle to even get into, I know they apply for the London Marathon, but they find it hard to get a place. It's really hard to get a place. I, I got charity places both times. Right, right. So having ran prior to your, your child, having Edward, how did it feel running 2019? Oh, amazing. Amazing. And actually, I ran it faster. Right. I ran it faster, even though probably a bit heavier now than I was then. And obviously having had a baby and what have you and being eight years older, I kind of I had it in my mind that if I could beat my previous time, I'd be absolutely chuffed. And I did by 18 minutes. Fantastic. That, that is amazing. And 2019, was that a really hot summer? No, actually, running conditions on the day of the London Marathon last year were pretty much ideal. It was it was quite grey to begin with, a little bit of drizzle part of the way round, which was really good. So actually, in terms of conditions for running, it was pretty much ideal last year. When I'd run it in 2011, it had it was really hot, unseasonably hot. And yeah, when you do the majority of your training over the winter period... If then for the longest run of your life, it's a really hot day. That's a bit of a shock. Um, so no, I was really lucky last year because the weather was pretty much perfect. Absolutely. I think from a young age, my mother has basically drilled it into me that basically, I think, I think she always quotes that the first runner or the guy that invented running, and I'm sure this is obviously just uh, scare tactics, died of a heart attack. And she's like, but Claire, the guy that invented running died of a heart attack. And I'm like, I'm sure that's not right, mum. I'm sure that's not right. So whenever I mention anything big, like like going on a run, I interviewed a lady a couple of weeks back who was saying, oh, you ought to come up this, well, this Mount Snowden. And I was, I was telling my mum. Oh, yeah, I like, listened to that, yeah. Yeah, and she's like, you're not going to up a mountain, Claire. You're not going up a mountain. <laughs> <laughs> for goodness sake for goodness sake but I think these these milestones these big you know these big things around fitness and health are great aren't they just to to have that that thing to focus your, your energy on and and to mm-hmm. to really just push yourself out of your, your comfort zone so I imagine that in 2011 when you was training not an experienced runner then to find that you'd secure this place at the London Marathon must have been a bit of a, a wake-up call for you and for your body, I'd imagine, as well. Yeah, yeah, it was crazy. It was crazy. But I think when you're a bit younger and you've not got kids and stuff, you know, I just used to get up at five o'clock in the morning and go and run along the Thames and stuff and think nothing of it. Whereas now, you know, as I've just said, I prefer to run in my garage because I'm too scared to go and run on my own <laughs> in the morning. So, you know, I think, when you're young, you say these things to people in the pub. You say, oh, I'm going to run the marathon. And then you think, oh, well, I better do it. Yeah. Um, whereas when you get a bit older, you kind of 
perhaps don't say those things in the first place. No, don't do that. <laughs> I think that my friend uh, posts on Facebook, obviously due to the isolation, she's been running on a treadmill. Um, and then she had some sort of trip on the treadmill. And the first day she posted that she got grazed knees. And oh. then, yes, I think this morning she posted and all of her thighs are literally black. She's made oh. a real, she's, she's taken like the skin off her legs and everything. And, and I I find it hard to run on a treadmill, to be honest. I know Gina Dean, who was another guest, she, she was looking for a treadmill and couldn't find one, but obviously because of demand, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, but I find it a lot easier to run on probably like a park run where it's 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 in, in a park and you, you yeah. may have a, a bit of gravel or a, a bit of sand to run on i i run i like to run in like the local forest uh, mm -hmm. on a park run that we've got near near where we live so what, what's your ideal setting for a run bizarrely i like to be on the pavement i like to be able to nosy at what other people are doing it's quite nice if you get to meet some nice dogs on the way. I love dogs. So it's quite nice if you meet friendly dogs on the way. Like I say, when I was training for London the first time, I, I lived in central London. So I used to run along the Thames and I really loved that. But I don't mind as long as I've got landmarks to kind of tell me where I am because my mm. sense of direction isn't great. And so I, the idea of like, drive into the middle of nowhere and just going for a run somewhere I would never do that I no. like to be in a kind of familiar environment and I like to plan my routes beforehand and obviously at the moment you can't really go too far afield no. anyway but what I'm doing at the moment is because ultimately if you strip all of this away I'm quite lazy and I probably wouldn't do any of this if I didn't have something metaphorical to kind of give me a bit of a kick so I sign up for virtual running challenges every month so I set myself right, a target yes. of how many miles I'm going to do um, and then you just track it during the month and then you submit I use a couple of different apps to track my runs and then just submit it at the end and then they send you a medal and it's really cool because even like them days when I'm thinking oh I can't really be bothered I would make myself just go and do a couple of miles to add to my total so yeah. at the moment because I can I can still get miles in and still stay local so you know observing the government guidance and stuff but that's really helping me because so like a marathon's great and everything but it's a massive commitment mm. of time and like your family basically doesn't see you for weekends for about four months because you're just always out running. And yeah. if you're not out running, then you're eating because you're so hungry constantly. So it's a massive undertaking to do something like that. Whereas a virtual running challenge, you can start at like 20 miles for the whole month. So, you know, if you just wanted to go out on 20 days in the month and just do a mile, yeah, you can do really that. Good. So I just find, especially at the moment, because I, I was due to do a half marathon at the end of May, and obviously that's been postponed, to have something that I've signed up for, that I've committed to, to just help me with that thing that you said when we first started talking about, like motivating yourself to get out of the house and go for a run, find that virtual challenges are really helpful for that. Mm. I think you're right. I would like to do that. I know... Um 
keep talking about my old guests, but I know that Michelle mentioned that she did something similar with the local gym, the, the virtual challenges. And I think for people that are just starting with the running and especially the couch to 5k, it could be that maybe they run, you know, 10 miles in, in a month or something and just look at really small goals or maybe go go for a walk and, and add that up over the month. I think especially now that things are quite dark you know you, mm-hmm. you can literally get lost in the the negativity and you know quite rightly so because it's horrendous what's happening and especially with the government and the the politics it's so you know across the world it's it's really frustrating isn't it mm. um and you can get kind of lost in that rabbit hole and i think when you've got children as well you need to kind of ground yourself and you have to you know accept that this is happening and it's it's mm. terrible but what can i give back or what can i do to make sure that i'm well for my kids and what i mean by that is what can i do to make sure that my mental health is is well and healthy and that's mm-hmm. what we need to we need to be aware of that don't we of the message yeah. that we're giving out because I don't, I don't know what you're like but with my son i try not to put the news on because it's so it's such a hard listen where you know you're trying to protect your kids aren't you and and you don't want your child to to you know be triggered by such such negativity I guess I think that's I think that's a really good point because I think in the way that we live our lives now we're always on like screens are always on the news is always on Facebook is always on as an adult there's no getting away from whatever it is that's happening in the world Mm. if you are digitally connected as most of us are um for kids like I love the fact that you know Eber doesn't care about who's doing what on Facebook or any of that stuff because he's only six and he doesn't care but actually the thing that surprised me over the current situation is he does want to know what's happening he's been watching a few things on CBBC about what's what's happening about coronavirus so he's been watching news round and he watches another program called operation ouch which is like a medical type program there's these two twins who are doctors that run it and they're really funny but the information that's coming out for children of that age particularly from the bbc is is pitched just right i think because it's telling them what's happening but it's telling them about how to keep safe how you shouldn't worry, how you just need to make sure that you you follow the advice and follow the guidance. So I feel like Edward's informed about what's happening. He's not panicking and he's not scared because the information that he's getting from the children's programmes that he's watching is right for him. I mean, you're dead right. I would would never have the kind of adult news on with him in the room because I think it's terrifying for adults let alone for small children it's yeah. hard enough when they can't see the grandparents they can't see the school friends like all of the normal activities that they would usually do are cancelled you don't want to add to that anxiety but getting that balance right of information is so hard mm. we just need to be thinking along the lines of a filter just to make sure that they like you say they they're aware of so much but because often I, ju- I just feel as well that there's a bit of 
a gameplay that's going across the waters with one country to another what this country did this and this country did that and it's just oh it's it's very yeah it's it's very interesting it's a <laughs> it's a very interesting thing to see and hear especially for me I'm, I like to observe behavior in people mm -hmm. and I find it quite interesting with the politics that go you know goes alongside of that and and the games that are being played and it's just you know let's just put our you know our bad stuff to one side let's focus on this because this is a killer this is mm -hmm. this is a, a war we need to put you know what everything's happened in the past to one side and just focus on what's happening now and, and keeping you know our borders safe and our our, our people safe so mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a tricky time, but I'm, I'm so glad that you've been able to find the running helpful and that you've been able to focus on your medals. So I hope that we can uh, get to see those on your Instagram post. Yeah, so I definitely. know that you've had quite an interesting story with your your weight loss. So if you just want to tell us a little bit about where your weight loss started and um, the steps that you took just to try and get your weight under control. Yeah, sure. So. When I was born, I was born six weeks premature in 1979, which was a bit of a big deal. And they, my poor mum nearly died having me. And they said to my mum about me, I was three and a half pounds when I was born. And they said to my mum, don't expect too much of her. She'll always be quite small and quite sickly. And she probably won't achieve much in life, is, <laughs> what, is what they said to my mum, which she found hilarious on yeah. my graduation day when I was collecting my law degree. And at that point I was probably about a size 18, 20, you know, so she sort of had a bit of a giggle with me and said, Oh, you know, they always said that you'd be small and stupid. Um, <laughs> so that worked out well. So yeah, from, from those kind of beginnings, like a, a lot of people that you've already spoken to from the podcast that I've listened to before, probably started really noticing issues with my weight around about 10, 11. Um, my dad died when I was nine. And I think looking back on things, I probably used food as a comfort and as a way of controlling my environment, I suppose, as a relatively young child. So I had always been conscious of my weight, particularly during secondary school and in teenage years and what have you. And um, people would say unkind things. I remember one day I opened my locker at school. So I was probably like 14 or 15 and someone had put a slimming leaflet in my locker. And just things like that as as a teenager that, that really hurt. Mm, um, absolutely. And then... So my weight probably just, I just got bigger and bigger and bigger really over my 20s. And um, my, as I've mentioned, my mental health was very poor um, in my 20s predominantly with depression. Um, whereas in later years, it's been probably more on the anxiety side, but I was really struggling. And I was lucky enough to have a really supportive doctor when I was in my mid-20s and we talked about weight things and he he discussed making a referral to me to, for me to the bariatric clinic at the Whittington Hospital in North London and 
the result of that was that I ended up having a gastric bypass operation towards the end of 2008. So when I was at my biggest, I was probably about 18 and a half, 19 stone. And within a year of having that surgery, I had lost 100% of my excess weight. But the going through that process is very difficult. You have to have psychiatric assessments and various other things to make sure that you're a good candidate. You have to demonstrate that you have tried to lose weight on your own. And I could document, you know, pretty much every diet in the book that I tried and various mm. other things that I'd been through with my doctor and dietitians and what have you. So the process was, was difficult and not easy, but the result that it had for me was really good. And I am really glad that I went through that and I did it because without having done that I don't know if I would still be here to be honest so I successfully maintained my weight at the weight that the dietitian had said was ideal for my height and you know taking various other things into consideration so I maintained that weight there or thereabouts for quite a few years and then I became pregnant with my son and the hospital was still monitoring me during that period and uh, I put a bit of weight on when I was pregnant but not a huge amount so they were really happy with that um, and then after my son was born I took a year off work as maternity leave and during my maternity leave weight started to creep back on mm. and my mental health was very poor after my son was born I was very down I really struggled with feeding him at first and that had a massive impact on my mental health I became very anxious and I would have intrusive thoughts about things to do with hygiene and cleaning I became very obsessed with you know worrying that he was going to get germs or he's going to get ill and that was really hard to manage and as a result of that, I think I, I, certainly, I certainly wasn't uh, cooking at home as much. We were relying on ready meals and things, eating bad things. So a lot of the habits that I had learned from having my surgery and from living with my surgery for the years afterwards a lot of the habits and behaviors that I had changed started to creep back in during that time so I started to eat cakes and things like that all the time for comfort and as I think is quite common for mums especially kind of new mums um, it's that slightly insidious mummy wine culture that starts mm. to drift just yes. starts to drift in you know mummy drinks wine in the evening because she's had a hard day and she needs to relax and what have you and so that started to to creep in and of course as we know wine and alcohol consumption doesn't really help with weight so all of those things were going on and I went back to work when my son was a year old and he went to a childminder whilst I was working. I went, I had to go back to work full time. He went to a childminder and the childminder was a member of Slimming World. And I had never been to a Slimming World group before, but she eventually managed to convince me to go along with her to her Slimming World group to see what it was like. 
at that point, I knew that my weight had escalated to a level that I was not comfortable with and I was in bad habits, but I didn't realise until I got on the scales at group that night quite how bad it had got. And I was about, I was just over four stone heavier than where I ought to be um, and where I'd managed to maintain my weight for so many years. I think you'll all agree that Hayley gives a great insight into mental health, fitness and, and all the bits that we don't really see in in the glossy magazines of our slimming stories, do we? We don't really see the nitty gritty. Sometimes we'll see the shocking stories um, and sometimes we'll see a lot of the, the glamorous stories. But a slimming story is all about the bits in between it's not the before photo, it's not the after photo, which is fantastic. They're great things to have to spur us on in that moment. Maybe just flicking through Instagram, which sometimes I'll post the before and after photographs of the guests that I've had. But a true slimming story is the bits in between, the gritty bits. The bits are, are really hard to talk about. And I love the fact that Hayley's been so honest, so refreshingly honest. And I hope this will help anybody out there that's listening that can really relate to Hayley's story. So this is part one of Hayley's story and coming up very soon will be part two. I won't keep you hanging in suspense for too long. So thanks again for tuning in. You take care until next time.